Hey, welcome, welcome to Wednesday night and to our study on the seven churches of Revelation. And tonight, I cannot wait to share with you what I believe is an incredible message from Jesus that every single one of us needs to hear. Um, but I just saw that Rose um, asked for prayer. And if any of you are watching the chat, Rose said this. She said, I need prayers for my family. My daughter-in-law passed away earlier this week. And uh, Rose, um, that would always be a heavy thing to have to deal with. And I think at Christmas, I'm guessing more than ever. And we love you. We care about you. And I can't go on without stopping right now and making sure we pray for you. And so uh, I, I really right now, let's just all go to prayer for Rose together. Um, Lord, I pray for Rose right now. I pray for the loss she's having to handle and experience and deal with at a time of the year that would always make it even maybe a little heavier, uh, a little more painful uh, for something that is very painful and very heavy. And I pray right now, Lord, your hand of comforts on her. I thank you that she's a part of our family and, and we get a chance now just to care about her and love her. And, and Lord, we ask for you to bring comfort in ways that are just beyond anything she can imagine. And so Lord, right now, be with her, be with her family, uh, be with uh, all the people who are affected by this loss. And uh, Lord, may you again be the God of all comfort to her, which I know you will be. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Wow, that's heavy. You know what? Right now, a lot of people are dealing with a lot of heavy things. And so I want you to know that we're a church who cares about you and wants to pray for you. So if you are online and you don't come to our campus, I want you to know you can go to crossroadschurch.family and let us know your prayer requests. And we have people who will pray. We won't just say we'll pray for you. We really pray for you. So make sure and do that. Go to crossroadschurch.family and leave your prayer request. Also, if you do come on campus, Monday nights at seven o'clock in our chapel. Our elders always are there uh, along with other leaders, some of our elders and other leaders that will spend time praying with you. And Monday night's about taking time to be with you and taking time to listen to you and taking time to pray with you and for you. And then also I want to tell you uh, that on, after every service on campus, we have people in our chapel uh, who love to pray for people and lift people up. Uh, so we want to be a church that, that literally uh, intercedes for people and, and calls out to God for people. And the cool thing is we're seeing God answer in incredible ways. Uh, right now, in the midst of what I think was a pretty heavy moment, there's also a lot of joy uh, because Tracy is leading our Boldly Blessed team. And uh, so they, 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 it's a prayer ministry. Boldly Blessed is a prayer ministry uh, where everybody in our church, by the way, gives $1 more than they normally give per person, per week, uh, even online. And then we take that amount of money, believing you'll do that. And we go out and change someone's life. And guess what? Uh, we at times, believe it or not, have a hard time finding that right person. Uh, but the more Tracy prays and her team prays, uh, what happens is God in the end always comes through. Sometimes it's early. <laughs> Tracy, sometimes it's not, uh, right? Sure. This week was hard. God was uh, closing doors for us. And then today he opened some incredible doors for us to bless. And so we are so excited as a team to see how God's working and the people we get to uh, influence and impact together. So it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this Sunday, they'll get to hear a lot of those stories. And every week, we, we actually give Tracy one week to go find that, Tracy and her team, one week to go find the person, make it happen, uh, which you've done every single time. Uh, but the bottom line is, we want to see people's lives changed in a very real way. And so during this season, we'll be doing that. Uh, so I'll talk about that a little more in a minute. But if you have someone you want to nominate for Boldly Blessed, also go to CrossroadsChurch.Family, and you can, you can go there and click to be able to nominate somebody, right? Yep, yeah, just click Boldly Bless and it says nominate here and you can nominate someone there. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, do that and then we'll pray if God is gonna open a door for us to be able to do that in a meaningful way. Um, but tonight, uh, before we dive into other things, let me tell you some things that are coming up uh, because we are in a, a cool Christmas season I want you to be aware of. First of all, we have a Christmas show called Experience Light that I believe is gonna be incredible, amazing, life-changing. I think everybody's gonna love it and enjoy it. For all of you who are online and part of our online family, 
family, which is, by the way, where most people are a part of Crossroads, right? Like 80% of the people who are a part of Crossroads are a part of our online family. And so if you're part of that online family, your time to see the show is Sunday, December 19th at 9 a.m. So all the online people, mark it on your calendar, uh, uh, set yourself a reminder. By the way, I love to say this. If you subscribe to our YouTube channel and click that little bell, then an angel gets its wings. <laughs> okay, I love that joke. I'll be using it a lot. But but no, actually, if you click the bell, you'll actually get a reminder to watch the, the uh, Experience Like Christmas show. And here's what I'd love for all of you who are online to do. Do it with uh, someone else. I, either if, they, if they're not going to be in your home, then just let them know. Let's watch at the same time. And you guys could be watching together, but not together, which is kind of cool. Also, you can have a watch party. Now, the way to do a watch party, Tracy, you hosted some watch parties, right? Yeah, sure did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what'd you do? So we gathered people together. We made food. So we had, if this is going to be Sunday morning, we would probably make breakfast. But we had food. We got to hang out beforehand. And then we turned uh, the TV on and we watched you on our TV. So it was great. Yeah. And you know what might be really fun this year? I don't know why I just thought of this. Have a pajama party. Like have a watch pajama party at your house and uh, have food together and then watch the show December 19th at 9 a.m. is the premiere and then on demand after that, right? Yep, anytime after that. Yeah. Now, if you're on our campus, you get to come Friday, December 17th at 7 p.m. or Saturday, December 18th at 7 p.m. or or Sunday, December 19th at 9 and 11 a.m. And so we also have the show then and you could be in our building. Mm -hmm. But I believe the online experience will be incredible and I think it's going to be be meaningful and the in-person will be too, uh, but I don't want you to miss that. So my favorite, I love Advent. I love Christmas. I love all of it. Mm-hmm. My favorite's Christmas Eve. What yeah. about you? I love Christmas Eve. Yep. I love Christmas Eve and you love Christmas Eve. We are going to have really incredible Christmas Eve services. And so we're going to have a one o'clock, a three o'clock, a five o'clock, all which will be in person and online. Mm -hmm. But we also get ready for this. We are going to have for the first time in a long time, we used to do this, Mm -hmm. an 11 p.m. candlelight communion service. So that'll be the only service that has candles and communion. We're going to take communion right at midnight as we usher in Christmas Day. We're going to have baptisms during that time. So if you want to watch online, you could be a part of that. Have your communion ready ahead of time. Uh, But also get ready for this. If you're if you're in the area and you want to come, come in the building. And uh, I think it's going to be an amazing time, both online mm-hmm. and in person. Christmas Eve, 11 p.m., candlelight communion. Yeah. Uh, it'll be beautiful. Mm-hmm. It'll be moving. It'll be meaningful. And, and it'll be cool to have. So uh, I'm excited about that. Yeah, you? and we get the best of both. We get to be together Christmas Eve, and then we get to usher in Christmas Day together, which is pretty cool. Which I think is so cool, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. So I, I love that we get to do that. So uh, that that is uh, some things I want you to know about. I don't want you to miss out on. Now, we're about to dive into the book of Revelation. Uh, in a Revelation chapter 1, uh, there's a, a promise that Jesus makes that's a special promise to the book of Revelation. Now, while all of the Bible is God's word, every word is God's word, there's a special blessing for the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus says this. It said, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, Jesus is saying you're, you're especially blessed if you read the book of Revelation, which we'll be reading part of that tonight. If you then uh, do something else, if you hear the words, which means not just listen, it means take them to heart, hear the words of this prophecy, and then heed the things that are written in it. And please, please, please don't tune out on what we're about to get into. Don't let other people deceive you about going a different direction with your life and making different choices. And there's a deception going on right now. Make sure you're a part of those who read, those who hear, in other words, hear and understand, and those who heed the things that are written in it. And by the way, right now, the time is nearer than ever. Why are we so sure of that? Because the Bible not only gives signs, 
lots of signs for the first coming or the first advent of Christ. The Bible gives more signs about the second coming and the second advent of Jesus Christ. And that is going to happen in our day and time. And so at the last two weekends of this year, or no, the last weekend of this year and the first weekend of next year. That's right, right? That's right, yep. Okay, last weekend of this year, which is December the 26th, uh, and then January the 2nd, we're going to be doing last day's updates. Mm -hmm. So uh, Patty Santos, one of our pastors, is going to do this December 26th, and I'm so excited because I believe, I'll just give this to you straight. Patty's one of my favorite preachers, but I'm stretching her. I I, I handed her this topic, said, this is what you're going to be doing, and I'm stretching Patty, but she always comes through, doesn't she? Yeah, she's always going to be incredible. Yeah, yeah. And then January 2nd, you've already seen the message. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe it's going to stir you in a very special way. I think it may shake you up some. As we look at the two main signs Paul the Apostle tells us to watch for so that we know we're in the last days. And one of those is happening right now. Uh, It is is beginning to to take on... uh, um, um, momentum happening in our days and in our times. And so I don't want you to miss that. So that's on January. I lost the date. Oh, there it is. You guys got it for me. Uh, We have a great team here. (laughs) January the 2nd. uh, Don't miss out on that. So uh, I want you to be aware of that. Now, before I go into Revelation and the, uh, the church we're going to talk about tonight, I do want to one more time uh, say that, you know, this is a Wednesday night worship service. Normally, we have praise music uh, in it. And so right now, Tracy and I are going to lead out and pray. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, not going to happen. Nope. Not going to happen. Yeah, Uh, Tracy's heard me sing, and yeah, she doesn't want any part of it. So here's the thing. We are going to go into another way of worshiping, which is our time of giving. Mm -hmm. And again, don't forget, Boldly Bless is happening, so we're going to ask you to give whatever you normally would give, plus $1 more per person. And uh, we're going to take what happens this week. You could give by texting GIVE to 77247, or if you want to say it the way I like to say it, 77247. Uh, by the way, you, you had a poll. I had a poll. I asked people on my Instagram if they prefer 77247, which I prefer, or 77247, which you prefer. And there was a tie. It was a 50-50 tie. Yeah, yeah, which I think is kind of interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in the beginning, it tracked with you, and then it began to catch up. Yeah. But but no matter what, uh, text GIVE to 77247 or 77247, or go to family. Uh And I always say this because I'm actually pretty... I mean, you know me, and mm-hmm. I'm really moved by the number of people on Wednesday night who choose this as their time to give. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you're a blessing to us, and we have praised God for your commitment. But uh, Tracy, I'm going to have you pray for our offering time. Yes. Father God, I thank you so much for um, the church, that this was your design for us to just be your hands and feet here on earth. And I pray that every person who um, gives, that you would just prepare prepare them to experience you and um, just be with the church as we steward your money to be your hands and feet here. And we just pray this in your name. Amen. 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 And so uh, I love that. Tonight, we're diving into a really, really important message in the book of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation chapter two. Uh, If you did not know uh, this, we're on a study on the seven churches of Revelation. Jesus actually gave an outline in the book of Revelation. And he said this, He told John the Apostle to write the things that you have seen, which is chapter one. Write the things which are, which is chapters two and three. And it's a message to seven very real churches that were a modern day, uh, what we call, it was a, a modern day Turkey. It was actually Asia Minor back then. And there were seven real churches he was writing to about seven real issues they faced. And so when you look at a map of right there of Turkey, you can see where those seven churches are. And there's Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira we're going to be tonight. And then also Philadelphia and Laodicea. And Jesus talked about uh, certain things to those churches. Uh, Five of them, he did corrective moves, course corrections, because things were not good. One of the churches tonight we're going to look at, it's not good. And And two of them, they only had good things, but they were facing very difficult situations or problems. But what Jesus always started with is what he is like. And so you discover what Jesus is like. Then he talked about what he likes, 
on those churches if they had things he likes in them. And then he talks about what he doesn't like and then how you can solve the problem on not have the things he doesn't like. So that's the outline for the book of Revelation and for these seven churches. So I want to ask you a question as we get ready to dive into Thyatira. Would you have followed Adolf Hitler? Tracy, do you think you would have followed Adolf Hitler? I want to say no, like a hard no. <laughs> okay, like a hard no, yeah. Yeah. You know what's so interesting is uh, years ago, I was with a family, and uh, the man who I was talking with was older. His parents were still alive, and I knew him. They were from Germany. They had lived when Hitler had taken power, and he was a young, young child. And he said, Pastor Chuck, we are so embarrassed. We are so ashamed, but we were for Hitler. Now, now, you and I would say today, how could someone be for Adolf Hitler? How could someone uh, actually uh, uh, be, be, be someone who honored him, someone who looked up to him, someone who would follow him and be committed to him? And I think what we don't realize, it's more like that old story of the frog in the kettle. Now, if you've never heard the story of the frog in the kettle, supposedly what happens if you take a frog and you put it in a kettle of water that's just room temperature, the frog will just swim around, swim around. But when you turn up the heat and it slowly heats up, the frog won't jump out. It will just be in there and die until it, its blood literally boils. Uh, and so lots of people talk about the frog in the kettle, how as the heat begins to rise, you're not aware of what's going on and you end up dying because of it. Now, here's the thing you need to know. That's not true. I used to believe it was true. Did you ever believe it was true? Oh, I thought it was like a fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We always used to talk about it like it was a fact. It wasn't even true. That just shows you how we all can be so deceived. Mm -hmm. Because if you put a frog in a kettle, first of all, it'll probably jump out right away. And second of all, if you turn on the heat, that frog's getting out. Mm -hmm. So here's what I want to tell you. While that's not true, the fact that we would believe it was true mm -hmm. might tell you that there's a truth out there not the frog, but a truth out there that is true. And that's this, that when we slowly are a part of something immoral or slowly a part of something evil and the evil doesn't show itself to be that evil in the beginning and the immorality doesn't seem all that wrong in the early stages, that as it gets worse and worse and worse, it can take us down and it can infect our hearts, infect our lives and infect our souls. Mm. So when someone like Hitler takes power, and at first he looks like he's bringing so much good, he's bringing relief economically, he's bringing uh, uh, a feeling of the identity of people improving in the country they're in, and a sense of self-worth to the people, that as he begins to become more and more evil, people are willing to let things slide until too late, they've slid down a slippery slope and are in trouble. And so that's what we know can happen. That's what we know is true, not only with Hitler, with other people. And I want you to know that's what happened in Thyatira. And that's what's happening today. There are things that Christians are just listening to and taking in today, just like back in the days of Thyatira, that Jesus looks at and says, I don't like those things. You should not be a part of them. You should not follow them. And let's pray as we get ready to begin. Father, I pray tonight you would just really open our eyes to the evil that's trying to infect your church and infect followers of yours. Jesus, that we would not be deceived, that we would not be a part of things that are so unrighteous, so evil, so wrong, so immoral, that we would want purity. We would want righteousness. We would want to be devout. And we wouldn't want to live lives that are better. And I pray every one of us are willing now to listen with ears that will understand that, that we will take heed to what you're saying here because the blessed life is for those who take heed. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're in the Christmas season and this is kind of fun, funny and true. By the way, what I'm about to say is true. 
Um, years ago, I was a youth pastor at a church called Christ Church of the Valley. And so the senior pastor, my senior pastor, Ron Keller, said to me, hey, I want you to take the family service this year on Christmas Eve. And we always had a family service. And so I got together a big team and we decided, Tracy, this is kind of interesting. We decided to write a play. Uh, actually, I wrote the play, okay? I, I write plays. Uh, and I wrote a play and it was about these two little girls. And what happens is the devil was gonna come and steal Christmas from them. So not the Grinch, it was the devil. And so what happens? I wrote this play. The devil comes up. He's diabolical. He's evil. We had him all made up. So he's like really scary. And he's going to come in and take Christmas from these two little girls. And they're going to end up realizing that that Christmas isn't about presents. It's about Jesus. And they're going to end up get the victory over the devil. So what happens is I wrote the play. We cast the parts. I got this guy to play the devil who was awesome. He was a really good actor. <laughs> and we we had our first night of rehearsal and everybody looked at me and said, you will scare those kids to death. You will give the kids nightmares. Chuck, we can't put on this play. And I thought, but we're like two days away. I mean, we're like on the edge. So I thought, what do I do? What did I do? So I stay up late, late into the night, early into the next morning, rewriting the whole play to try to make the devil not so scary because it wouldn't be a good idea to have children show up on Christmas Eve and the devil scare them to death. Right. He would scare the hell out of them. <laughs> well, that was my goal. But anyway, here's what really happened. So we rewrite the play. We make the devil a lot funnier, but without meaning to, I make him a lot nicer. So we put on the play and the kids get to the point where every time the devil comes in, they're cheering. Like they're screaming. Like whenever he came on stage, they, they went nuts with joy. And I'm going, what is going on? And when the play is over and all the characters go out into the lobby, the devil has a line of children waiting to hug him and take pictures oh with him. Gosh. It was so sad. And I have parents going, what are you doing? <laughs> and that was Christmas Eve at Christ Church of the Valley <laughs> that year. And, and I think the thing I want to say is so interesting. The devil became lovable and huggable, even though if you really took time and stepped back and watched the play, you would have saw he was ruining everything. Mm. But, but because it was funny, they didn't care. Because he was likable, they didn't care. And today, there are some people who are ruining the church. And I want to say some of them I personally know. Mm. And you know what? They're lovable and they're likable. Right. Um, Matter of fact, if I named them, I'm not going to. You would probably know a couple. You do know a couple. Mm -hmm. And you go, but I love them. But we know what they're doing could not be more wrong. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's look at what happened back in Jesus's day and then talk about what's happening in our day. So first of all, Revelation 2 verse 18 starts out with what Jesus is like. And Jesus says this, he goes, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write. So he's telling John, I want you to write this. The words of the son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Not blonde, <laughs> bronze. Uh, so, so here's the thing. What are we saying? First of all, Jesus said this. Do you want to know what I'm like? I have eyes like flames of fire. You know what? I think sometimes we act like Jesus is uh, um, so much like the, the, the pictures that are portraying him, but they're nothing like what he really is. Jesus was strong. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is awesome. I mean, literally awesome. So if you were to stand before Jesus, you would look into eyes that have flames of fire. Now it's interesting. What does that mean? It means they're piercing. It means they know your thoughts and your motives. They can see deep within you. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting, Tracy. Uh, I, I know you can do very, very well. Tracy is amazing at giving that look that women can give. Oh, can't you? <laughs> Yes, I can. <laughs> yeah, you can. And when you do, you stare and you pierce through people. Mm -hmm. And I've had people get a little uncomfortable in that moment. By the way, my wife, Pam, is fun and as nice as she, she can do that too. Mm -hmm. She can look at you and you think, oh my gosh. And you're sure she's looking deep inside your mind, knowing every thought you think. Right. Uh, by the way, when Pam, uh, when the boys were little and they started to lie, Pam would just look at them. And after a while, they were pouring out the truth, <laughs> confessing their deepest sins. It was like awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but you know what? Jesus said, I have eyes like flames of fire. I can see deep within you. I could look deep inside you 
and I don't miss anything. Revelation, or Jeremiah 17, verse 10 says this, I, the Lord, Jesus is talking about, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind to give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. By the way, notice what the Lord says there. I search the heart. Jesus knows what's in your heart. And then he said, I test the mind. Jesus knows what you're thinking. And he says, I give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You know what? The Bible says something that a lot of people don't know how accurate it is and true it is because it's completely true and 100% accurate. And what is that? That nobody's good, no, not one. It says that in the book of Romans. None are good, no, not one. And every now and then I'll have someone actually go, wait, is that really true? And the answer is 100% true. By the way, Tracy is a very sweet, sweet person, but she's not truly good. I'm not truly good. And how we know we're not truly good is because the only reason we can appear to be good is because nobody knows what we're thinking. Mm -hmm. If every thought Tracy thought was public, like if God took away her ability to keep that private, I don't know how many people on our staff would go, but she's so nice. <laughs> they would all still say that. Okay, they would, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you, you wouldn't have me, you know. And, and, and you know what? A lot of you would go, man, I can't even believe, Chuck, you thought that. Mm. See, the truth of the matter is nobody would say you're good if they knew every thought you were thinking. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be a good son. You wouldn't be a good daughter. You wouldn't be a good friend. You wouldn't be a good employee. Mm-hmm. But God is in his grace, given you the ability to keep those thoughts and, and those thoughts those heartfelt feelings private Mm -hmm. so that you can work through them. But I want to say this, you're accountable for them. Even though they're not known to anybody other than God, you're still accountable for them. And so what you and I need then is what? A savior. And Jesus wants to be our savior, but know that our savior is someone who can see who you really are. And that's what he says when I have eyes like flames of fire. He can see what you really are and he can see what you're really like and he can see how you really feel and what you're really thinking. He knows it all. As a matter of fact, you know what else it says in the Bible? He actually he remembers every idle word you speak. Wow. Every idle word you speak. So Jesus said, you know what I'm like? I have eyes like flames of fire. You know what else I'm like? I have feet like burnished bronze. Now, this is super important for all of you who want to study the Bible. So don't miss this. Bronze symbolizes judgment. Mm. Now, so in the bronze altar, the brazen altar is a bronze altar. That symbolizes judgment. Uh, so bronze is symbolic of judgment. And so when Jesus said, I have feet, like burnished bronze. In other words, he says, I stand in judgment. I stamp out uh, things in judgment. And so we need to understand that's who he is. That's what he does. And so we know that. We know that Jesus is that way. Now you might say, Chuck, how do we know? How do we know that bronze is a symbol of judgment? Uh, And so I'm just going to, you might have to write this one down uh, real quickly because I don't think we put it on the screen. Leviticus 26.19 tells us that bronze is a sign of judgment. Uh, Deuteronomy 28.23 tells us that bronze is a sign of judgment. And Zechariah 6.1 tells us that bronze is a sign of judgment. So we know that. Uh, Plus there's a talk in in, in a place in in the law, in the Torah, that talks about a mountain of bronze. And that mountain was a mountain that was put there to symbolize God's judgment. So bronze is a sign of judgment. And 2 Timothy 2.19, it says this, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, why is that verse there? Why am I talking about that? Because Jesus said, I have certain boundaries that I never want you to cross. I have a firm foundation I want you to always stand on. And the firm foundation is this. I know those who are mine and let everyone who names my name depart from iniquity. Why? Because he has feet of burnished bronze and Jesus will stamp out judgment. He will not, get ready for this, he will not stand for you and I being impure. He will not stand for you and I practicing sin. A lot of people feel like some reason Jesus will, but he's saying, that's not what I'm like. Well, you need to know I won't stand for that because I stand in judgment. We can either have him as our savior who forgives us and gives us grace, 
or we could have him as our judge who will truly judge us. And Jesus said, I don't want you to miss who I am, and I don't want you to not be aware of that. So that's the first thing we see in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, that Jesus is one with flames of fire, eyes like flames of fire that pierce to the depths of who we are, and Jesus stands in judgment. Now, why did Jesus choose to say this to this church? Why did he choose those two attributes for them? Because he wants them to know there are things in the church he does not like. There are things in this church he doesn't like. And uh, we need to know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he'll never like these things. So what is he about to say to them? He said, I'm the one who can see to the depths of who you are, and I won't stand for how you're living and acting. So in Revelation 2.19, he says this, I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. I know what you're up to. I know what your actions you're taking. I know your deeds and I know your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. So Jesus said, I know there are a lot of good things about you. I know the good things you're doing. I know the love you have. I know the faith that's within you. I know the service you're giving. I know the perseverance that you're, you're, you're showing by hanging in. And I know this, the deeds you have at late are greater than at first. So Jesus said, that is something I really like about you. I like that you have deeds. I like that you're a people of love. I like you have faith. I like that you have service. I like you have perseverance. Jesus said, I love that. I love that. I love that. And I love that it's growing. I love that it's ever growing. But I want to tell you that in the midst of all those things I like, I see something I don't like. And, and I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss that all the good that's there doesn't help. It's not okay when there's so much bad. So what does Jesus say in Revelation 2 verse 20? He says this. He said, but I have this against you. Even though you have love and you're a loving people, even though you have faith, even though you're doing a lot of good things, he said, but I have this against you, that you tolerate. Now stop there. That not that necessarily you're joining in, but you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Jesus said, I want you to know the fact you even tolerate that, the fact that you don't stand against that, the fact for some reason you're okay that she's teaching. She's teaching people to, to go astray from the very life I want them to live and commit acts of immorality. He said, you know what? I want you to know I have that against you. So all the great deeds you have, the growing deeds you have, the faith you have, the love you have, none of that matters. You could be the most loving people ever, but the fact that you're allowing immorality to run its course and grow and, and affect people this way, Jesus said, I cannot stand that. I can't stand it. And it's even worse that this woman's a leader. It's even worse that this woman is able to, to, to teach this in a very public way and, and use her influence to get people to do it. See, today in the church, we're seeing leaders who aren't living and teaching uh, that morality is what we need to go for and immorality is not okay. In other words, there are people and leaders in the church today there were back then there were, and Jesus calls her a Jezebel. We'll get to that in a moment. But there are people in the church today who are beginning to, and very publicly teaching things that are immoral and far too many people are not standing against it. They're not calling it out. They're tolerating it. By the way, the scary thing to me is today it's not just tolerating, they're liking it. Uh, and, and it's heartbreaking. You see, it's kind of the frog in the kettle mentality that we started to let certain sin in and we didn't call it out as sin and other sins came and we didn't call that out as sin. And, and, and so it was because we wanted to be supposedly be nice. Uh, I know some pastors who I talked to them about it and I said, have you ever spoken against this? They said, no, I don't want to speak against it in church because it'll offend too many people. And I'm like, well, then where are they going to hear it's wrong? 
By the way, I believe we've left a whole generation out there with too many pastors who aren't willing to call sin, sin, who aren't willing to say that things are wrong, that abortion is murder. And by the way, if you've committed that sin, I want you to know that God will give you grace and love and forgiveness, but you've got to admit it's sin, that premarital sex is sin, that adultery is sin, that homosexuality is sin that all of the LGBTQ lifestyle, none of it aligns with what Jesus wants. It's all sin. And again, I told you there are pastors I know who refuse to say what I just said. And I'm not trying to say, hey, Chuck, you're such a great guy. I'm saying, no, Jesus says, don't tolerate those things. Why? Because none of it leads to good. None of it leads to mental health. None of it leads to having great relationships. As a matter of fact, theologically, we know that's true. And I can promise you this, psychologically, we know that's true. We know it's true. The evidence is there, even though some people try to deny it or twist it, uh, it's there. And we know when a leader begins to lead that way, people follow. It might seem like old news, but years ago, the president of the United States was Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton was caught having an affair with an intern named Monica Lewinsky. And uh, what happened is Bill Clinton actually went on national TV and said these words. He said, I never had sex with that young woman. Now, now his way of getting around it was that he didn't have uh, intercourse with her. So he said, I didn't have sex with her. But they did have sexual acts together. They did uh, do things uh, uh, that were immoral and wrong. One of the things we know that happened in the Oval Office of the White House was that, that she performed oral sex on him. Now, you know what gets really scary? I was a youth pastor back then. And, and there was a, a, an escalation in the number of teenagers who then began to practice that same sex act. Uh, as a matter of fact, Seventeen Magazine, which is not Christian, came out with a warning to teenage girls about the dangers that happen when you get involved in that kind of activity because of how many people were suffering physical consequence of that particular sin. So when 17 has to have a front page article and come out against what the president of the United States is saying, you already know we've got a problem. But leaders have influence and leaders lead and people follow And whole generations can go down that path of immorality that turns into what I want to call again a slippery slope that gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And people pay horrible prices for doing that on top of the fact the greatest price of all, Jesus won't stand for it. Jesus will not stand for it. So you know what we need to understand is that when pastors begin to be sexually immoral, it affects whole churches. It affects the generations within the church. When our political leaders practice immorality, people follow. When celebrities practice immorality, people follow. And Jesus holds every single person who does it accountable for not only what they're doing, but for who they're taking down that evil path. And so Jesus said to this church, you've got a leader in your midst. And you're tolerating that she teaches this. You're not only tolerating she does this, you're tolerating she teaches this. See, two weeks ago, we saw that, that there was a man named Balaam who wanted to get the children of Israel to be cursed by God. And the way he got that to happen was he got them to become sexually promiscuous. And so God took his hand of blessing upon them, off them. He took his hand of protection off them and he began to curse them because that worked. That brought a curse upon them and took the blessing away. There are so many people whose marriages aren't blessed today because of sexual immorality. There are so many parents whose families aren't blessed today because of sexual immorality. There are so many people whose dating relationships could have actually led to an incredible, incredible marriage together that don't have it today because of sexual immorality. There are friendships that have been ruined. There's people who are single whose lives have been hurt, badly hurt and wounds inflicted because of sexual immorality. And the Lord warns us not to tolerate that. 
And he said that you cannot tolerate it. You cannot tolerate it. Uh, it's interesting that Jesus calls a woman in that church Jezebel. Uh, it's almost 100% uh, for certain that wasn't her real name. But what he was doing was he was saying, this woman in that church that you see as a leader, that you see as someone that, that, that's admired, that someone you're lifting up and now you're tolerating her evil teaching. She's nothing more than a Jezebel. Now, what is Jesus referring to? Back in the Old Testament, there was a king who married a woman named Jezebel. Uh, and it says this in 1 Kings 16.31. It says, it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, who, worship, who served Bel and worshiped them. This king Ahaz, what happens? He married Jezebel. And he, did, he thought it was a trivial thing that he would marry somebody that immoral, who marry somebody who was that sexually promiscuous and bring her in and make her the queen of Israel. It was a trivial thing. It was no big deal that sexual immorality was now being put on display in that way. And so what happened is this. The Lord began to curse that kingdom. The Lord took his hand of protection away and blessing away. But Ahab, who had married her, kept being more involved in more sin with her and more sin with her and more sin with her until she took such leadership in the kingdom that people quit worshiping God and began to worship Baal. Uh, she also took a place of leadership in getting people not only to worship Baal, but then to add to that by worshiping the Asherah, uh, which was a form of, by the way, not only worshiping a false god, but it was also very often tied to infant, infant sacrifice, the killing of children. Then she began to persecute the prophets of God, those who were true. And everybody went along with it. And she became an enemy of Elijah, one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. And then Elijah, interestingly, did this. He prophesied, not only will you not get away with what you're doing, Jezebel, but one day you'll be eaten by dogs. Now, I want you to think about that. He stood strong and pronounced, God is going to curse you in such a way that Jezebel, one day you'll be eaten by dogs. But she didn't repent. He called out for her to repent. She didn't repent. But what she did do is she ended up murdering a very innocent man named Naboth. And she took his property in a very unjust, in a very illegal way. So she murders him and takes everything he owns. So now his family has none of it and she leaves them with nothing. And so now it comes to the point that she's on that piece of property up in a tower and the man who would eventually take her down comes and leads an attack and he spots her there and he yells to the servants, throw her down and they take and they throw her out the window. She comes crashing down breaks her neck and the man who called for her death just leaves and the dogs rush in and begin to eat her and ravage her body till there's almost nothing left except her skull, her feet and the palms of her hands. And when Elijah hears it, he said, that's the calling of God. That's God's judgment. Remember, Jesus wears boots of burnished bronze and he says, I are brave and he stands to stamp out judgment that way. And the Lord says, you have a woman in your midst, in my church, who's teaching people to do things like that. And she's a Jezebel and judgment will be coming. Judgment will be coming. That was back then. But it's happening today. It's happening right now. Uh, it wasn't, all that long ago, I was at a convention of pastors and the pastor who was up on stage began to talk about the fact that the church needs to be more caring and more loving to people who are a part of the LGBTQ community, which by the way, I wouldn't disagree with that. Tracy, you know that. We want to be loving. We love everybody. We want, and by the way, why do I preach against that it's wrong to live that lifestyle? Because I do love, I do care. 
But he went from the fact that we need to be loving to the fact we need to be accepting. And I couldn't believe it. All of a sudden, pastors are cheering. And then he began to talk about how accepting his church is. He didn't talk about people coming and finding love and an ability to repent and change. They could come to his church and continue in the lifestyle, which Jesus is very clear will never be tolerated. By the way, you can't be saved and be in that lifestyle. And so they're going to a church that's accepting and now even promoting them to live that lifestyle. And pastors clapped, pastors cheered. And I thought, what, what is going on? I went home heartbroken from that. But it would only be a few days later that I would be told that a couple who I knew that at one time were doing ministry that I thought was phenomenal had gone on their social media platform and began to talk against what they call the purity movement. And uh, they publicly stated that they believe that the call for them to be pure before they were married, uh, sexually pure, hurt them, wounded them, almost ruined their lives. And they talked about how wrong it is that churches do that. And by the way, they were naming me and they were naming Crossroads. And uh, at least they were alluding to me. There was no doubt I didn't miss it. And the more they talked, the more my heart broke. How could they have fallen so far? How could they take that kind of a platform and make that stand? And by the way, not to be, just so you know, Chuck, are you being judgmental? I know them personally. And I know that all that they were saying wasn't true. All they were saying wasn't true. It wasn't a call to purity that hurt them. Matter of fact, I don't know anybody who's lived a life of purity that's been hurt by it. And in their case, for sure it didn't. But the pain for me got greater when I looked at the number of people hitting like and then I started seeing names of people I knew hitting like and making comments about keep going, keep preaching, keep... And some went to crossroads. They weren't just tolerating this sin. They were applauding it. Pastor Noah, who's on our staff, was telling me that he saw the same thing. And he said, but they're not the only ones. We live in a day when people are so quick to follow culture, to applaud immorality, that we have forgotten God's will. Let me just have you read this with me. This could not be clearer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, for this is the will of God. This is the will of God. Please don't miss that. This is God's will. So if you want to know what God's will is, get ready, your sanctification. Sanctification means that we're set apart, that we're holy, ready, that we're pure. So it'd be very accurate to say, this is the will of God, your purity, you're living a pure life. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality all forms of sexual immorality, every form of sexual immorality. That'd be pornography. Uh, that would be uh, adultery. That would be premarital sex. That would be living together and not being married. That would be the LGBTQ lifestyle. All of that is sexual immorality. And that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification or purity and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who what? Who do not know God. In other words, people who don't know God live that way. We should not be living that way. And then it goes on to say in verse six, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we has also told you uh, before and solemnly warned you for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in the sanctification so that he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. 
If anybody rejects the purity movement, movement, the call to be pure, the call to be holy, you're rejecting God and God will reject you. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for them. I don't want that for the people of my church. And I, I, I hope I'm a better pastor than that. I hope I teach you the God's word better than that. Come on, I want you to think about it. I, I promise you, living a life of impurity, following the teachings of a Jezebel, getting caught up in sexual immorality, that will never, ever, ever make your life better. It will never make your life better. It won't give you better relationships. Uh, it won't cause you to be a person of great character. Uh, and most of all, you can't really be a Christian. You can't be a Christian. You can call yourself one, but you're not. And this church, this church was tolerating this. And the Lord said, no, I'm piercing eyes seeing this. I'm standing in judgment against this. All the good that you supposedly are doing, none of it matters because of this. And I want you to be aware of it. And I don't want you to miss it. And today, there are so many people who are leaders in the church, just like that woman back then, that is preaching a message that goes against the very clear calling that's God's will. And anybody who rejects this is rejecting Jesus and rejecting what he wants us to know. In Thyatira, it was happening, and today it's happening. And Jesus doesn't like it. Jesus stands against it. And I don't want you to to be a part of that. Jesus tells us, by the way, that it actually is an issue that happens in your mind. It all starts with the way you think. It's interesting. The way you think will determine the way you act and the way you feel. And so Jesus said this, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. In other words, just the idea of fantasizing, the idea of lusting. Jesus says that already makes you an adulterer. So what does Jesus say to do? Listen to how, how strongly he states this. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown, look this is from Jesus, into hell into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is a heaven or hell issue. This is a heaven or hell issue. And Jesus looked at them and said, you're tolerating a person who's teaching people practices that will take them away from me and from any chance that they would go to heaven and guaranteeing them that they're going to go to hell. They're going to go to hell. You see, I, I, I want you to know, Jesus said, whatever you need to do to stay pure, stay pure. If you uh, are in a place where you work and you find yourself lusting for somebody there, uh, you know what you need to do? Do whatever you can to get out of that situation. If you have to, ask for a transfer. Uh, if you need to, quit your job. I mean, quit your job. You may say, Chuck, man, are, is it that big a deal? Yeah, it's that big a deal. Um, you need to, uh, some of you, watch out for what's on your computer. Uh, the, praise God, there's protective software out there that would alert everybody who uh, you allow to have access where you've been on the internet. And they'll always get messages telling where you are. And that kind of software is available. Some of you need to put that on your computer. And you know what? I, if you're single, I'm saying don't, don't tune me out. Get some of your friends who will hold you accountable in a loving way and say, hey, let's share that with each other so we can stay in tune with each other because I don't want to go down that road. And you know how good it's going to feel one day when you sit with someone and God finally brings you, you're single, to that person he wants you to marry and you know you've stayed pure and you know you've been accountable in a healthy way, and you can look him in the eye and said, I've saved myself for you, that will be huge. And you're going to be always standing before the Lord going, Lord, thank you. Thank you, I did that. By the way, um, if you're living in a situation that isn't biblically right, 
Maybe you're living with somebody who is not the person you're married to and, and they're the person that you're attracted to sexually, then move out of that house. Do whatever it takes. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to stumble, stumble, throw it away. Rip it out and throw it out. And by the way, obviously Jesus knew it's not your physical eye. It's the way you look at things. Do whatever you can to change the perspective and the way you look at it. If your hand causes you to stumble, in other words, you're taking actions that are wrong, stop those actions and do whatever you can. Jesus said it's that important. It's that important. And he wants us to know that. He wants us to be aware of it because sexual immorality has consequences spiritually in your relationship with the Lord. And I don't want you to miss out on all he has for you, but also with so many other areas of your life. I can't tell you the number of children who've been molested because of someone who was sexually immoral a child or a teenager that has to face a life of having to recover from that. Or children who are living in broken homes today because one of the parents was not faithful to the other one. Or they just left the family because they got so selfish in the lifestyle they committed. And uh, you know what's so heartbreaking is the number of teenagers over the years that I have dealt with who've been so ashamed of their parents who were caught up in pornography or caught up in a sexually immoral lifestyle. Those things, those things have very real world consequences. And Jesus said they also have heavenly consequences. And you and I need to take Jesus's words to heart. Remember, blessed are those who read the words we're reading hear, in other words, understand them and take heed. So in Revelation 2.21, Jesus tells what's to do to solve this problem. He said this about Jezebel, about the person doing this teaching. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Jesus said, you know what? I actually gave her, someone doing something that bad and that wrong. I gave her time to repent. So what I want to tell you what Jesus is saying is repent now while you can Repent now while you can. The word repent means you can change. It means turn around and go the other way. It means you can change. Some of you right now, you need to change. You need to change what you're viewing. You need to change what you're listening to. Uh, You need to change your attitude about some of these things and quit tolerating them. You need to make a change. Jesus said, if you won't though, in verse 22, behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Now, there's a couple of thoughts on this I don't want you to miss. Jesus said, number one, uh, there'll be a, a sickness that will come upon people. It could be a mental health sickness, by the way. So much of the mental health crisis today has to do with sexual immorality. So much of uh, the, the inability for people to have intimate relationships that are healthy is because of sexual immorality. And and lots of people suffer because of that. And so Jesus said, there will be a sickness that comes for those who don't repent. And everybody who participates in it will suffer from it. And I know this to be true as a pastor. And I know this to be true as a counselor. And I don't want that for you. But you can repent and you can find healing and you can get out of it. Uh, The other thing Jesus said is, I will cast you into tribulation. Uh, What he's saying there is this. When the rapture comes, anybody who calls himself a Christian and is sexually immoral will not go in the rapture. Uh, The Bible does teach certain people will be left behind, left behind to a world of great tribulation. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, uh, some of the worst things that have ever happened on planet earth are coming, and I believe in our lifetime. And so I believe we live in the days where the rapture is going to happen. But if you're sexually immoral, you will not go in the rapture. And I don't know if that concerns you. It does me. And it does me for you. It does me for you. So Jesus goes on to say this though, in verse 23, he says, and I will kill her children. Um, I know some of you go, wait, what? Jesus said that? Jesus said, I will kill her children with pestilence. I will kill her children with a plague. I will kill her children with sickness. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Now, I don't want you to not 
take to heart what Jesus said. Remember, we saw in Revelation 1, verse 3, blessed is he who does not ignore this. Blessed is he who reads what we're reading, who hears and understands what we're studying, takes heed to what's written in it. Jesus said, I want you to not miss what I'm telling you. And right now, let me say this. I, I, may, I hope I haven't sounded harsh, but I hope I've been clear. That some of you right now who are listening, you need to repent. You can change. You can be a new creation. You can be different. If you're caught up in any of those things sexually, you can be set free. And that cannot be who you are anymore. The Lord forgives and cleanses completely. And for those of us who've not been caught up in those things, at least in this time period, Jesus has a message for us. He says, but I say to you, the rest of who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, all of you who didn't got caught up in this teaching against the purity movement, didn't get caught up in the teaching that sexual immorality should be tolerated, uh, that the deviant lifestyle should be called okay. He said, who did not hold to this teaching, who have not known, and notice what Jesus calls that kind of teaching, the deep things of Satan, which I think that's interesting, as they call them. I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. You guys, we're living in the last days and the Lord is coming back. It's not that long till he will uh, rapture the church out and then he'll appear. By the way, I cannot wait until uh, Patty teaches you, uh, uh, teaches with you on the signs that show we're in the last days. I can't wait to tell you the two great signs and one that is occurring right now in our lifetime. But he's coming. And what does Jesus say you and I should do? Hold fast until he comes. Don't let go. Don't give in. Don't allow yourself to be sucked into these kinds of things. Be different because you already know this. It is the will of God. It's the will of God, your sanctification. And so start to be a person who's cleansed by Jesus, whose righteousness is because of Jesus, and you're actually practicing that righteousness and living that lifestyle. And don't tolerate it, anyone who's teaching something else. And don't accept their teaching. Don't be swayed by their teaching. And don't give in to it. No matter who they are, no matter how nice they are, no matter how much you like them, don't, don't, don't find yourself going down that road and finding yourself one day looking and saying, how did I get so far from the Lord? Right now, some of you need to repent. You need to either make a commitment to give your life to Christ for the first time or you need to recommit your life to him. And I wanna tell you, if you will come to Jesus, he'll never cast you out. He'll never deny you. He'll never say no way. He'll never say you've done too much wrong. He'll say, come, there's no sin you could commit I would not forgive. No, nobody who comes to me that I will not love. And so I want you right now to get ready to do something. Let's pray a prayer, a prayer of commitment or recommitment, a prayer that says, I do not wanna be a person who, tolerates those kinds of things or who practices those kind of things. And if that's you, pray this prayer with me right now. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. Go ahead and whisper that. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. And I pray you'll help me change. I pray you'll make me new. I pray you'll transform my heart and transform my life. I pray you're gonna make me righteous and sanctified and pure and holy. And Lord, I pray that I'm gonna be that new creation you, you want me to be. And I pray I'll, I'll live a life that pleases you. And I pray I'll live a life that's with you and close to you. And that I'll follow you in these last days. And Jesus, I pray this in your holy name. 
Amen. And if you pray that prayer, praise God. Uh, Praise God. But here's the thing. When you pray a prayer that matters that much, Jesus wants you to make it known. So how can you do that? There are two ways you can let us know you prayed that prayer. One is text amen to 77247. Text amen to 77247. And another way to do it is go to crossroadschurch.family and click on I said yes. When you do, we're going to send you a book called The Purpose Driven Life in a electronic form that's yours for free. We want to give that to you free because we believe that book will be a way to help you know next steps to take so you can live a life where you're really experiencing Jesus on an everyday, every moment basis. So make sure you text amen to 77247. We also, when we find out who you are, we're going to be praying for you. We're going to pray that the Lord will open your eyes to things. Pray that God will guide you in your life. We're going to pray that God will bless you in incredible ways. So make sure you text amen and then when we get back to you let us know who you are or go to crossroads church family but i i know tonight was heavy i think it was heavy uh and you might know somebody who needs to hear this message uh and i want to encourage you go ahead and share it with them say you know what i heard a message and it was heavy uh it was even controversial Uh, But I think that, you know what, it'd be one that would benefit you. And and reach out and ask them to listen. And by the way, the good news for you is if they get mad, they'll probably get mad at me and not you. (laughs) And I can handle it. I can handle it. And they can even email me at chuck at crossroadschurch.com. And uh, I I would love to hear hear from them. But you know what? Make sure that you and I live a life that shines as lights in a dark world where we practice love and not hate where we seek after purity and not immorality, and where we seek to be a blessing to others. Why? Because whenever God blesses you, you're blessed to be a blessing. And I hope that's you, and I hope that you get blessed, and I hope you know God's love, and I hope you and I live with integrity the life that Jesus has called us to. So thank you for being a part of this time together. Thank you for being with me in a heavy, heavy time of teaching. God bless you, and have a great night. Thanks again for joining us. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we hope you'll text AMEN to 77247 so we can provide you with the resources to help you on this journey. If this message resonated with you or you need prayer for something, would you let us know in the comments below? Our team reads every comment that comes through and we love interacting with you. If this message added value to your life, click the subscribe button and turn on post notifications so that you'll never miss out on a new message. We're live on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. right here online and Sundays at 9 a.m. and on demand anytime after that. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.